This is the West Side King's Church podcast, where we aim to encounter and embody the surprising grace of Jesus. Good morning, Brian. Welcome back. Welcome back to all those who are listening or watching. Um, we are headed into our session five and then six, so our final two episodes, um, unpacking some of these conversations on grief. So um, for those who might be just joining us on this particular episode, I do encourage you to go back. There's lots of really great information um, in the first four episodes of this grief uh, podcast. Uh, for those who might not know who Brian and I are, uh, my name is Kristen and I work at Westside King's Church and I work in pastoral care. Um, and then Brian Brian has extensive um, experience working as a chaplain for years and also in grief counseling. So we're so, um, yeah, I, I mentioned it yesterday in the service, I'm just really um, I think we're just privileged to have a lot of your insight and information, your knowledge that you share, but also the compassion that you also share um, alongside that knowledge, Brian. So we're headed into week uh, five here. And I guess one of the questions that we're asking at the top of this episode is how do we move forward with grief? How do we hold grief, but still manage life? So I know you wanted to do a little bit of a recap um, to lead us into this session. So why don't you take it away? Sure. Thanks, Kristen. And welcome back to you who've been following along. And as Kristen mentioned, there might be some of you that are just joining for the first time. So we had six sessions. We've divided them into three sessions, uh, I should say into three sections of two sessions each. And for the first two weeks, we looked at grief's part in our lives uh, when we are bereaved. Um, uh, week three and four, uh, we looked at uh, God's nature, we looked at uh, the, the, the crossing over of our faith and where grace fits, so we kind of looked at where God's part is as we're in that bereaved place. And so week five and six is really going to be understanding the process of grief and moving forward, and that's really our part, because I think we need to have a bigger context for when we move through our grief, so it's nice to know what grief is. It's nice to know that we don't go through grief alone, that God is very present. And it's nice to have direction and that we've got a part that uh, grief resolution just doesn't happen, that there has to be some decisions, but it's nice to make decisions if we know where we're going and have some context. So that's what we're going to do this week is look at um, just this idea of choices and moving forward. And then next session, we're going to look at continuing bonds and how we move forward, but at the same time, stay connected. Yeah. So Brian, what are some factors um, that contribute to our ability to manage grief? Yeah, it's, uh, it's different for everybody. Um, we talked in the first session around the five threads of grief uh, that, being the physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual threads that all get pulled. But in the valley of grief that I mentioned, I had one more thread that we need to navigate, and that's the thread of trauma, because every grief has also got its impact and what we're exposed to. And in grief, um, uh, there's no limit to just how devastating it can be to us personally. And so those are the six threads. So some of the things that we do need to be mindful that makes it so hard to get through this valley is the nature and severity 
of the loss, uh, the degree of trauma. And I thought, we don't talk about trauma a lot, but I thought I, I found a little definition that I just want to put out there because I think it's important uh, that we define it. So trauma in grief is marked by a complicated process in which it is difficult to cope and to integrate the loss or losses into our previously held mental, emotional, or spiritual framework. And if you've experienced a trauma, you just know how much it can just put your world on edge and how devastating and how dissonant you can become with the way you were living your life and just dissonant inside yourself with what's unfolding and how you're impacted. So I, I think it's important that we acknowledge trauma. I think every loss has got a degree of trauma when it comes to loved ones and bedsides and all yeah. the things, all the narratives that go along. Yeah, we need to just acknowledge that trauma is its own separate thread and also needs to be um, uh, addressed. So that's the nature and severity. Um, I think there's previous experiences and distressing events we may have experienced personally in my life and probably in others' lives. You've gone through some things that have really impacted you and maybe still impacting you to some degree just by the nature of what unfolded around the loss. Sometimes, as we've talked about, not only in regards to getting direction and finding support, but what kind of support is available. Uh, hopefully in weeks one and two, we looked at that we need to move grief into bigger time frames. We need to realize that nothing happens really fast. Um, when it comes to grief, it's usually longer than shorter. Mm -hmm. And so uh, during that time, there may be support at the beginning, but then it quickly diminishes. So yeah, what kind of support do we have at home, in our social connections, in our community? Um, family and personal histories. Uh, families go through things. Um, how our family deals with loss. Maybe when you were younger, if you had grandparents or a pet or a family friend, and I had several of those when I was growing up, and uh, my only cue was from how my family addressed the loss. And so, um, yeah, we also come from different cultures. Uh, we have different traditions, different orientations, and we all have a different perspective in the world, and we have to acknowledge and be mindful of those cultures and traditions and orientations and just being able to factor that into it. And again, sometimes it's hard to find people that understand those dynamics Age is a huge factor, and um, no two people share the same response in grief. So even though we've tried to look at grief in a context in weeks one and two, how we experience it, we talked about there's different grief styles, but we all respond a little bit different. So when it comes to our, our own unique grief, yeah, how do we get our bearings? So yeah. that's, that's what we're looking at. So really, there's just so many layers to grief. Right. Um, when you look at your life, there's what I hear you saying here, Brian, is that it's not just the grief itself. There's just so many aspects of our life, whether that's, you know, our current um, situation, but also our past that also feeds into how we grieve. Um, and now you talk about something um, which I think is important to know, um, because sometimes I think we try to diminish our grief. You know, it, well, it wasn't that bad or we might feel like we don't have have the right to grieve things, but you've got this saying that grief comes in one size. So I just want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And I think I might've shared that, that uh, it talks about direction and um, our ability to manage our grief. And we've got all these factors that I just mentioned, but this is a saying that I picked up somewhere and it's this, that grief comes in one size, extra large. 
Uh, if we tuck it away in a bottom drawer where it never sees the light of day, it remains exactly the same. But on the other hand, if we wear it, if we feel it, talk about it and share it with others, it is likely that it will become faded, shrunk and worn and will just no, simply no longer fit. I love that. Mm -hmm. Me too. So we're confronted with a choice. So um, uh, we, we open that drawer at different times in our life. And again, this is giving grief big windows that sometimes it's time to put it in the drawer. It's just overwhelming. We don't have yeah. the support. But I think in God's timing, we talked about weekend three and four about how God is so very present. God is invested. He's interested. He's an inquiring God. And I think God knows our story. And, it, and those things may unfold where it's time to open up that drawer because somehow it's hindering our life in different ways. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's helpful, Brian. Um, and why I think it's helpful is I hear, you know, well-meaning um, family and friends, maybe if they're concerned about somebody who is grieving, um, there sometimes tends to be a push to get into, you know, grief care right away and, or, you know, work through that grief and you got to, and, and so what I think I hear you saying is that we're, we will have a time where we're maybe ready to do that, but it's not necessarily right away. Yeah. Yeah. Just because of all the complexities that I just yeah. mentioned, the right people, the right support, the right time. So I'd like to share a story. Sure. Um, and, uh, as a grief counselor, it seems I never go too far away or go on a holiday without running into grief somewhere. Uh, but I want to share this story. This happened probably about mm, 15 years ago. Uh, Vi, uh, my spouse, and um, we're on a holiday. And we woke up early in the morning. We were in a national park. And we wanted to go for a hike early, 8 o'clock in the morning. So we planned out our route. We had to get on a secondary highway. And so I turn on to the secondary highway and right on the side of the road, there are two women and uh, they're hitchhiking. And um, man, it's early. I hadn't prepared myself for even thinking about that, but I found the car moving over to the side. And um, that's where we were going. And I said, we're going down this road to a parking lot. And they said, we're going down this road. And I said, well, we can take you at least part of the way. So we agreed on that and they hopped in. Um, so they're in the car, they're in the back seat. We do a little preliminary conversations, where they're from, uh, what are their names, what are they expecting on the hike, where's their hike. And we're probably going for about five minutes and uh, I get to the turn where it goes to the parking lot where Vi and I are supposed to start mm -hmm. the hike. So I said to them, I guess this isn't as far as you'd like to go, but I said, this is where we're going. They said, no, that's fine. We're a little bit closer to our destination. So they got out of the car and Vi and I drove into the parking lot. We got out, we started looking for the trailhead, we saw a map, we were there probably just about five minutes and we realized that we were at the wrong parking lot, that we had indeed turned off too quick. So hop back in the vehicle, get back onto the road, back onto the highway, there they are, right on the side of the road. And you know, there are those moments where you just kind of get that nudge and you just know, it's kind of that sense of, okay, there's something going on here. So I pull over and, uh, and they smile and I said, uh, jokingly, I guess I'm here to take you to your destination. <sighs> and they kind of laughed and they get in. So we had more time. So we get talking and because uh, we'd done the preliminaries in that first five minutes. So I said, what is it that um, brings you to this uh, national park at this point? And uh, she looked at me and said, well, you're not going to believe this, but I'm here to um, reclaim my father's silver. Hmm. And that just... And it just was such an, an odd thing to say. She said, you're not going to believe that. 
And I said, you're not going to believe this, but I said, I'm a hospital chaplain and I work in the area of grief. I said, this sounds really interesting. Can you tell me about your father? And she just lit up. And so she started to tell me about her dad. Her dad was a geologist. Her friend was bearing witness to this whole conversation. And I asked how he died. And she explained to me the death that happened several years ago and that um, she really missed him and thought him a, a lot and that as they were going through his possessions. At one point, they found a map. And the map had been drawn out many years before. Her father was a geologist and he had been doing some geological survey in the area. But there was this map and there was a place on the map where her father had buried a bag of silver coins. Hmm. And it had sat there and she was not ready to, to go there. And so I just acknowledged how wonderful it was that she could get back and just have that connection with her dad and she bought a friend. And before we knew it, we were at the parking lot. We pull in, they get out of the car and she says to me, do you want to see the map? And I'm like, I'd love to see the map. So we spread it out on the hood of the vehicle and she shows me. And, and I said, this is such a beautiful day. And it was a perfect day. And she says, I am just so fortunate. And she said, can I just give you a hug? She just reached around and her, her friend was there and Vi was there. And we just had this big group hug that was so much bigger than us because we all knew that this was just special. And as I went to get back in the vehicle, I saw the two of them go down the bank and start to head over the rock field for her to reclaim her father's bag of silver. And I love that story because it speaks a couple of things. It speaks that there's a time for everything in grief. Mm. Uh, they, she had put that idea in the drawer for a while, but at that point, whatever was going on in her life, she brought a friend and it was time to go and reconnect with her dad. And I love that because it also shows that grief has a direction, mm. that we have a choice. She could have let that bag of silver go, but in her own heart, um, it was time for her. And I acknowledge this in grief, as we talked about in week three and four, that God knows the story and God is not partial, whether we carry a faith. It's just in God's nature and his creation to move people forward in their grief because God is a loving God and God is always available and God was all over the situation. Mm -hmm. And I just love that. So I think what it brings into view is this idea that in grief, we've got a choice. We can avoid our grief, put it in the drawer. And I think if we avoid our grief, there's kind of some things that can happen. Uh, there can be, uh, you start to fall into kind of mood altering um, because reality is just too hard to manage. So mood altering, whatever that looks like, can become a little bit more consistent. Um, there can be sudden changes in behavior. It's just suppressed. It's just, you know something's going on, but you're out of sync with yourself. An escalation maybe in anxiety and behavior. Um, you start to maybe fixate and ruminate on the event, and this can last for a long period of time. And you start to slowly detach and you start to get some distance, but you just know that there's something that's just not resolved. And that can be there for quite a long time. So we can avoid our grief, or what I think the path is that God would desire we take is what I call the healing route. And if we heal, we have to look at what our part is 
that once we understand the dynamics of grief, when, once we understand that we're not alone, that God is so very present, then we can start to look at taking care of ourselves. So I thought it might be helpful to kind of look and begin with what does self-care look like? Yeah, I think that's a, a, a great uh, place to, to go next because we hear this term self-care and I think there's dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of books on the self-care. And as a mom and mom circles, you hear that term self-care over and over again. I think it's got maybe a slightly different uh, meaning in a grief context. So why don't you unpack a little bit what self-care means in, in grief? Yeah. So we're just going to look at those five threads again, that physically we have to acknowledge that grief is impacting at levels we probably never even imagined. So we need to offset that stress and that anxiety and just that buildup. And so we do really need to take care of our physical health. So things just like as simple as drinking water or being uh, eating healthy, not being mindful, even though you may not feel like eating, you need to kind of get the right nutrients. Sometimes you need to start checking in on your breathing. Physically, when we're pulling everything in, we can kind of tense up and we need to sometimes just slow down and learn how to breathe. And there's different ways we can learn how to do that. Really important to get out and get our legs stretched. And uh, physical health is about maybe going for a walk. I used to have a little exercise uh, with individuals. I always used to give them the challenge to find the, the bench that's 10 minutes away from their home. And Calgary's got so many places to walk and so many benches. And I have to believe that there is a park bench out there for everybody. So I always thought it was perfect if you could find a bench, 10 minutes walk, sit for 10, just take some breath, reflect, whatever, and then 10 minutes home. It's a half an hour and sometimes that's all you can manage. But I love that thought. And even as we we move on. I've got my 20 minute bench and my 30 minute bench. And uh, when I get a chance and need a break, I go to those benches. So just gentle exercises, doing a little bit of uh, walking, maybe a little bit of yoga, just exercises that you enjoy. And sometimes just how can you treat yourself? What feels special? Just being able to honor in your grief. And if it lingers, it is not a bad thing to maybe check up with your family physician on just how you're doing and getting some work done. So physical care, yeah, just being mindful. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, I think, um, Brian, that's really important in what you said about it being gentle, right? This isn't, you got to get back into your, a, a rigorous routine of exercise, right? And just really taking that time to listen to, to what your body can do, right? And making yes. maybe those small incremental changes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, even as I think back with the story I just shared you, and even though it was several years after this father had passed, just to be mentally and physically and emotionally in a place where you can actually get on a plane, take a trip, mm-hmm. <laughs> hitchhike to where yeah. you're going and kind of follow through with the plan. Yeah. It's got to be the right time. So we need to just realize that we're like a battery. The battery gets drained. Yeah. And um, we just need to be mindful that we need a jump once in a while. It's nice to have people watching over us that can be honest and let us know you're just a little run down. You're a little, little drained. Yeah. And then that also goes into the the cognitive self-care and the emotional self-care. Yeah. Just again, being mindful of what you can manage and what you can't manage. Mm-hmm. Um, just ask yourself when there are issues or challenges come along, I always say to myself, do I address this or do I let it go? Right. <laughs> and I think that's a good little mantra to give because we're just maybe not mentally at that place. So do I address it? Do I let it go? And just realizing that it's a time again for everything. Mm-hmm. And that social self-care as well with the relationships, like being around people, 
I think it's what I hear from people who I speak with about just how difficult it can be to be in those social situations and how much energy it takes. And so what do you, do you have any advice for people and what you can do to sort of prepare for those social gatherings? It's nice to have somebody to walk with. It's nice to have a plan. Um, as I said, in the first months, um, first year, uh, very challenging. So being able to formulate a plan that if you're going to be involved socially, uh, who do I take with me? How long am I going to go? Yeah. Um, you know, even as I talk about church, I, uh, sometimes it's very difficult to go to church. It's hard to be in services that don't really address it and you find yourself being overwhelmed. So I, many times it was like, well, maybe you need to take a bit of a break yeah. just to where you get to that place where you feel you can be a part of the community. So we need to give ourselves permission sometimes not to be socially involved. Mm -hmm. But there's sometimes maybe you need to push it a little bit to kind of have some rules. And I guess that kind of feeds into how we're doing emotionally because <laughs> yeah. there could be a whole range of emotions. And so, uh, yes, what can we manage? And, um, yeah, we need to seek out support. Yeah. And having a little bit of a plan, like you said, you know, who am I going to go with? How long am I going to stay? That yeah. kind of thing. So then you can, I think, helpful to have that sort of exit plan too. Like I'm, I'm going to stay this length of time and then I'm, or even just letting the host know if you're going to someone's house, you know, this is the length of time I'm going to stay. And then, you know, might even just let them know I'm going to slip out. I'm not going to make a big deal of leaving. Right. There's so many different ways that you can kind of work around that and make plans to, to make it as gentle on yourself as you can. And I, and I also love that you mentioned the thing about church, because I think we, um, as a church, as church people, we want to say, oh, well, you'll always come to church, right? No matter how you're feeling. And I think that is really nice um, to believe that it is a, a type of environment you could come in any sort of state, but it's not always the case for people. And, and sometimes um, it can be quite triggering to be in those environments. And so just giving yourself a minute to, to really be prepared for that, I think is really helpful. Yeah, we, we talked about grief is awkward. And so I think giving a good example, if you're in a social situation, could be church, could be at somebody's home where it does get awkward. It's good to whoever you're with to have a worked out cue ahead of time, a yeah. little bit of a signal, you know, just uh, somehow very subtly letting the person know that you're ready to go. Yeah. And, and have, a, have a plan of being able to excuse yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to spiritual self-care, so we're talking about church and maybe you need to take a little bit of a, a break. Um, what are things people can do for their spiritual self-care? Well, I think it's important to attend those things that are meaningful for you. Um, there are different events like midweek that may be times of reflection. It's, again, sometimes it's good to go with somebody, but I think it's time to have uh, opportunities to be uh, with others in a safe, in a safe way. So prayer time, it's nice to be uh, in prayer. It's nice to have um, some alone time. I think if you can find that bench, it's nice to maybe spend that 10 minutes, just in a little bit of a conversation with God. Um, attending faith gatherings when you feel comfortable. Um, I think we all kind of nurture our spirit in different ways. Sometimes it's nice to maybe light a few candles. Mm -hmm. It's nice to maybe light some incense. And uh, I love that context of that fragrance is a reminder of God's presence aromatherapy it's nice to have the the diffusers around i think these can all just relax us mm -hmm. just letting us know that it's okay and fostering a little bit of that spiritual connection with us, us 
within us. And maybe there's some, some uh, devotional books that can be very helpful. There are some that are specifically for devotions around loss. Uh, for some individuals, I've seen uh, grief journals that are just beautiful and the questions and it's just kind of like dialoguing not only just what you need to dialogue but it's almost like starting to dialogue a prayer yeah and i love that concept so those are nice gifts if somebody's in grief and they carry a faith um you can find these um little diaries or workbooks to accompany yeah. somebody to give them focus yeah yeah that's great so in my speaking with uh, people who have experienced grief. Something that I hear often is uh, what they find difficult um, when being around other people, the loss of a loved one that they're experiencing is that people oftentimes shy away from using that person's name or they are go um, an, out of their way to really avoid the topic. Like we're not talking about just, you know, waiting for the person to mention it. We're talking about like changing the subject and obviously being quite uncomfortable. Um, so when it comes to sharing your grief with others, how does that work? Well, very carefully. Um, again, it's usually with somebody that you know very well. On the other hand, I did mention that there are times when God brings people into our lives. Yeah. And, at special moments or um, in relationship that can surprise us. But I think it is so important that when we talk about bringing that grief out of the drawer, that we have somebody to talk to about it. And it's about setting the boundaries and providing an opportunity that you kind of send off that vibe that I am interested. Um, I am invested in you as a friend or a family member and to open up the opportunities to maybe just inquire a little bit. And I think if you can share in that kind of environment, it starts to help us put the pieces of our story together. Mm -hmm. um, it for sure can validate our loss. It wasn't, it was in, I remember one day this, uh, man, it seems forever ago, it seems like when it really was winter, it was cold, went for a walk with a friend who had experienced a loss and we found ourselves walking through a park. I said, uh, hey, there's a bench here. Do you want to sit down? And we sat on the bench and um, had a little bit of a conversation about how things were going. And yeah. it was just kind of opening things up a little bit. And, and I think if a person can share their grief, if we're in that place to be able to listen, what it does for people that are grieving is it validates the loss. And we just need people to validate just how very important that was for however long that is. I know for years after my mother passed away on her birthday, I would phone my sister mm -hmm. just to acknowledge how are you doing? Just checking in, just to validate the fact that she's still grieving and I'm still there and I'm still aware of that. In our discussion, maybe we can gain a little bit of understanding. Nobody's grief is the same sometimes not listening to a person kind of a therapeutic way, but sometimes people share from their heart what was helpful for them. Right. And if we open up the dialogue and take that risk, we can maybe get a little bit of information for what's been helpful to others. It, it certainly reduces our isolation. I mean, we have this tendency, as I mentioned, if we take the avoidance route to, route, to become a little isolated. Um, it helps us maybe start that process of making some decisions. By putting some things out there for some feedback, maybe we start to get a few more resources. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, the friend that I had, I had a book um, that, um, I mean, there's a time for everything, but it was a wonderful book on grief written by a male 
and um, called the grief as our grief and sorrow and and I just felt it was time it was a good book so I think again but it had to be the right time it can we can provide encouragement the people need encouragement um, shared understanding maybe talk about what's next how yeah. can I be helpful um, but it's also an opportunity to maybe just reminisce, reminisce and just to share a little bit. And again, when we're in grief, it's hard to tell the story. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm always of the firm believer that if you can hear a story, you start to understand the person. And it's got to be the right time. And it's kind of like the story I shared at the beginning with the two ladies. Um, that was a beautiful time of sharing at a very deep le level. And she just lit up when she could talk about her dad. And so, yeah, those are the times. So important to talk, right person, right time. Yeah. And we really do play important roles as people who are supporting others in grief. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, um, and it's not as always as intuitive as it might sound, right? We think we know the, what to say or do, but there's, there's things that go along with supporting others in grief. And as we've said earlier on, on other episodes, like grief is, it's awkward. Yeah, very much so. But being that support person and being in a, a situation where you're able to support someone who is grieving is is really um, just a it's a privilege to walk with someone or sit with someone in that. Yeah, I was just shared just uh, yesterday talking to a friend. Um, what I call it, I think I mentioned it, COVID conversations. Mm -hmm. People have been very isolated. It was in the context of a neighbor. As I was walking, we just asked how I was doing. Uh, I'd met and talked with her before we formed this neighborly relationship. And um, in the conversations, she was able to share just how difficult it was. And again, just to be a neighbor who could be validating. And she felt comfortable enough to be able to share that there's been some things. So we talked about COVID and all the losses connected. And we've got friends and community that have experienced losses to different levels. Remembering our losses, our response to the loss of anything we value. So sometimes people want to talk. And I think, again, you know, within our faith, having the, maybe those ears to hear when a friend, whether it's at church or wherever we find ourselves, when the conversation starts to open up a little bit, just to use it as an opportunity to validate just their importance as a friend. But we need those conversations. And um, hopefully in the near future, we get to maybe start to have more of those conversations, yeah. maybe without a mask on. More face to face. But yeah, we need those and they're so important. And I think maybe one thing that we found during COVID is how important it is to have friends yeah. and how it is important it is to have community yeah. and that's maybe on a plus side and so yeah yeah you have this quote here that uh about assumptions that i thought was good do you want to share that yeah i don't know where i found it it's uh it comes from a book about it it's called how to break bad news bad news a guide for health practitioners it's by robert buckman and it says this and i love it when it comes to anticipating a person's reaction there's only one safe assumption and is not to assume anything. Yeah. <laughs> I love that uh, because it's so true. Um, we never know what's going to unfold when we start talking to somebody, but never to be surprised, but just to be able to manage it. And again, taking it to this idea about, oh, we can take it one step further, maybe acquire, inquire, yeah. invest a bit of our time. Yeah. So in our sessions, we, um, 
got into this topic of dual process model. We took a look at that, which we're going to do in just a moment here. Um, and it's really as we get into sort of that resolution of grief and we, we start to take direction um, as we start to kind of heal. And, and uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that dual process model? Yeah, uh, we talked a little bit about some models in the, I think it was the second week, um, kind of the concentric circles. Um, but the dual process model is a model that's really accessible. First of all, anybody who's listening to the podcast uh, can just go to whatever web browser and type in dual process model and it will come up. And I like this model because it's got a sense of direction. And so whether we're in grief, as we've talked about from the beginning, we're kind of don't know where to go. We've never been in it unless we, we don't know what to expect because we've probably never grieved this depth before. It can catch us off guard. So it's nice to be able to have a workable model if we're in grief by which we can gauge kind of what's unfolding. But if we're supporting others in grief, it's also nice to be able to have a bit of a model or a bit of an opportunity opportunity to be able to know where our loved ones are, where our friends are, which side of this model. So I'm just going to give a very simple explanation of the model. Uh, there's wonderful diagrams online, but it's really kind of um, uh, a circle with two sides on it. And on the one side, it's all about our grief. And so on the loss side, when we're actively grieving, it's the grief work we do. It's every time we think about the person who's uh, passed, any event or situation or circumstance we put a little bit of energy into, that's grief work. It's taking something out of us, we're bringing it forward, we're putting some thought, we're trying to figure out where this fits. That's grief work. And in that time of grief, there are intrusions. And those intrusions can be very predominant in the first year. But as I mentioned, when we look at trauma, that there can be intrusions that go many years down the road that in a moment in time, something can unfold where it just brings us right in. And I, and I talk about grief bursts. I like the idea, that like to mix the metaphors, I like the idea of grief waves, kind of that idea when you're in the ocean, and everything's kind of good. The waves are kind of rolling in, but every once in a while, a big wave rolls in and it just kind of pushes you out of the way and you find yourself scrambling to get your feet underneath you. When we're in grief, those waves can roll over and we find ourselves scrambling to kind of get our feet under us and get our, get our equilibrium back. So on that side, we've got the ongoing grief work. We've got these moments that just really let us know that we're really still struggling here. Mm -hmm. We're still having thoughts and memories and impacts and all those five threads are getting pulled at different times. But we're trying to figure out at some level, how, how do I let go of this? How do I rebalance? How do I move forward? So yeah. that in our grief, it's kind of the trajectory we've been taking, that is there, it's unfolding in our life, but we need to find a way to continue to move forward. We need a way to put our grief in a certain place, it's giving us a sense of direction that we know, that we know that we're getting some distance from the impact of that loss. Yeah. This is where it becomes really important that we just don't want to deny that. We want to be able to embrace it and acknowledge it. But what happens is that it's so uncomfortable and awkward and we have no context that we don't let the grief work happen. We don't know what to do with the waves, so we avoid them at all costs. Right. And so because of that, we're not getting this idea about trying to manage our grief into a way 
And as we're going to work towards to move forward and yet stay connected in ways that are meaningful and life affirming. So that's the one side of that diagram. Mm -hmm. On the other side of the diagram, it's about restoration. It is about reclaiming our lives to a certain degree. And again, depending on the loss. For some, we move over there quite quickly, but to the depth of loss and to how, 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 how deep those threads are being pulled, um, we need to, in the midst of it, we do need to attend to life. <laughs> That's hard. Attend to life. Ooh, I've got a lot of grief going on, but we need to attend. And over time, it's nice to have some cues to let us know that we are moving forward. I think this, we start to manage our grief as we take that grief out of the drawer and walk it and talk it, we start to realize that we can do some new things. That maybe some events, maybe if you didn't go to church, you feel I can go to church. Okay. I remember there's one uh, that, um, that I had experienced a very, very difficult loss uh, of a family member and was really isolating and uh, had taken her over a year to even pick up the phone to be able to talk about it. And I remember there was a point in the process where we talked about, you know, can you do anything? And she said, I, I can't. Um, I said, was there one thing that maybe you could do to kind of as an activity? And she thought about it and she couldn't think of anything. So I let that with her next time uh, I, I saw her. I said, so does anything come up? She says, no, I thought I'd go to Michael's. She said, I used to be artsy. She said, I found myself looking at the paint by number sets. And she said, when I was young, I used to paint, paint by numbers. She says, how difficult is that? She says, I think I've got the wherewithal to put the right color on the right number. And she bought one. And that was her first step into doing something new was a paint by number set. So sometimes it's very small, but in our grief, we just need to take these measured approaches at the right time. We do need to be able to have some distractions at time. Again, that's on this side that we don't want to be there all the time. We need to give place to grief. We'll talk about that a little more next week. Mm -hmm. But we do want to be able to, again, navigate forward. Uh, sometimes in families, roles change. Using my own family as an example, when my mother passed away, um, I just kind of didn't think about it. But um, I became my sister's confidant. We had a very deep relationship. We both have a very uh, strong faith. Um, and um, I was surprised that uh, it caught me off guard that I became my sister's confidant who's younger and we developed a whole different relationship. Right. And so then my dad had to readjust to that new dynamic in the relationship. So as a family, we had to work out these different aspects of how the constellation in our family was changing. We are changing in the process where so we have to catch up with ourselves and we have to catch up with the relationship. Some people come, some people go, but that's the dual process. And I love that because we bounce back and yeah. forth. Yeah. And uh, if you're in grief, it's nice to know, okay, I'm on the loss side. What do I need to do? Or you can say, I'm making some gains because I feel I'm a little bit more in the restoration side. Mm -hmm. And we can not only figure out how we're going to grieve using this model, but when we're supporting somebody, we can get a sense of when we're talking, oh, are they on the loss side? Or are we going to move into something that's a little bit more restoration? And this is really important with friends, with family members, that we don't get the wires crossed there. That if somebody wants to open up the conversation about grief, we're not talking about what they could do differently. Right. So restoration model, um, dual process model, really, really helpful. Any comments about yeah, that, Kristen? No, I think it's really helpful because I think what catches people off guard is the back and forth and feeling like that's not normal. Um, yes. And so I find this um, model helpful for two reasons. I think that 
um, while we talk a lot about grief in the context of death and the loss of a loved one, which certainly there's enormous grief around that. There's also other griefs in life. And I think this works when you think of, you know, something like divorce or, or, or other things that come up in your life. And um, it's still a model that it makes sense in that context. And like I said, I really think it's helpful. When you look up this model, you can see sort of the little lines going back and forth between the two um, spheres. And um, I think that's helpful to know, like, it's okay. I'm not doing it wrong. I haven't taken steps backwards um, in my grief process. It, this is just normal and natural to go back and forth and not to be one day to be the same as the next necessarily. Yes. And, and, you know, we talked, we gave two weeks to talking about the nature of God and God able to come alongside, kind of fallen behind. He is the mighty God. He is the, he is just the, um, uh, the wonderful counselor. He, he, God is the God is in the business of restoration. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the restoration of our lives is the big picture in faith. But when it comes to grief, because God gets grief, yeah. God inevitably wants us to move into that restoration side. And so this is why I like that in the context of this model as a chaplain, and I always like to get this idea, okay, where is God in this? You know, is God working in this loss oriented? Do we still need to talk about that? Is there still some really, you know, some, some issues there that needs to be talked about in a just very meaningful way? Or as God is moving people into restoration, um, yeah, being mindful of that, knowing God is at work. And I think this is God's ultimate desire, just in the nature of God as wonderful counselor is to be, be there to get us into that restoration part. So this is why I think it's nice to give the time we did towards that faith piece, because when we're in the process, where is God in that process? I love that because God is in the process. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, Brian, I think that wraps up um, this fifth session. And uh, just thank you for this conversation. And for those who are listening, um, if you feel like you have questions, you want to unpack anything that we've said, or you just want someone to talk to, um, feel free to reach out to us. You can email me at care at wkc.org, and we will see you next time. Great. Thanks. Look forward to the next session. See ya.